Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Three Things That Spoil Faith. And now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, have you ever walked into the kitchen in the morning, a little bleary-eyed, half awake, and you, uh, you pull out that box of cereal and you pull out that milk and pour it into a bowl? It's only when you bring that spoon up to your mouth that you realize that you now have a mouthful of sour. The milk has spoiled. Well, food does spoil, and faith spoils. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians wanted to let the people know how to keep faith from spoiling. A few weeks ago, really a few months ago, we began studying through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And we're calling this series Next Level Living because everything you see in the four chapters of Colossians is designed to get you to the next level from the one you're on, the next level of your understanding of Christ, the next level in your understanding of how to faithfully follow Christ. The problem is, however, that there are some things that appear to get you to the next level, but will take you further and further away from Christ. And Paul addresses these in the last half of Colossians chapter two, the passage that we're at today. In this passage, Paul talks about false teachers who had come into Colossae and had been negatively influencing the Christians who are in the church in Colossae. These false teachers claimed that the mysteries that they taught and the rituals that they observed and the spiritual experiences that they advocated for would bring you to a whole nother level in your understanding of Jesus and your experience with him. The problem was, Paul said, they will take you further and further away from Christ. We need to keep this in mind too. I mean, the details of uh, just exactly what these false teachers taught in Colossae can't be exactly duplicated in our world today. And yet the reality is that there are things that look like spirituality, that look like deep insights, but nevertheless will take us further and further away from Jesus. Three times in in chapter two, he says, in effect, don't let anyone spoil your faith. He says it in verse eight and again in verse 16, And then in verse 18, so in verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And then in verse 16, he says, do not let anyone judge you. And then in verse 18, he says, do not let anyone disqualify you. So three times in these verses in chapter 2, he says, don't let anyone do this thing to you. And so that serves as our three-point outline for this message. Paul addressed three things that he said, don't let let this happen to you, don't let this happen to you, don't let this happen to you. So those would be the things that we look at today. Now, as we study these three warnings, you are going to find that they apply to zealous, passionate Christians. A, A lot of times we assume that the only thing that our spiritual enemy, the evil one, the only thing that he can do is make us hostile to Christ, can make us rebellious against Christ. Well, he certainly wants to do that. But if he can't do that, he will do the next best thing. He will take something that looks religious and that looks spiritual and use that against you. And that's what we're finding and what the Apostle Paul says in these verses. Most of you in this place are spiritually hungry, spiritually passionate people. 
if our spiritual enemy sort of dangled out a temptation that was an open rebellion against Christ, you would sense that that was something to avoid. And yet it's the very people in Colossae who were spiritually passionate, spiritually hungry, that were at risk of falling into these three errors that could spoil their faith. So Paul warns against three things, teaching that stimulates the mind, rituals that discipline the body, and emotional experiences that stir the soul. Let's look at each one of those. You can find your sermon notes in your bulletin. First of all, write this down, faith spoils when we depend on intellectual speculation instead of Christ. This was Paul's warning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces in this world rather than on Christ. I want you to circle the word captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. This is a powerful word in Greek. In fact, this is the only time that this particular Greek word shows up in all of the New Testament. And it is a word that describes violent action. It is a word that describes somebody, a slave trader, who comes into a, a, a North African village and takes a bunch of people captive so he can sell them as slaves. It was used to speak of kidnappers who would snatch a child and then hold her for ransom from her parents. And Paul says, that's the danger you're in. Don't be lured in with false promises of deeper knowledge that can come to you if you just listen to the false teachers. He said, don't do that. Now, we don't know a lot about what the false teachers in Colossae were teaching. We know that in other places, Paul had to battle against what are called Judaizers. These were people who uh, said that believing in Christ was fine and good, but here are all the Old Testament laws that you need to follow as well. And there were certain elements of, of, of Jewish Old Testament laws that the false teachers sort of incorporated into their teaching. But, he, but as, as Paul is describing what they're teaching here, it seems like there's some Greek philosophy as well and even some paganism that's all sort of mixed in and this becomes their, their teaching in the Colossian church. Paul calls it hollow and deceptive philosophy here. But now he wasn't telling us to avoid the philosophy department at uh, the four-year college that we're going to. That, that's not the type of philosophy he was talking about specifically. The, the Greek word that we translate philosophy covered a range of things, anything that has to do with worldview, patterns of thinking. And so what the Apostle Paul was talking about here were people who were attracted sort of intellectually. They wanted to use their mind. They were intrigued with these um, conspiracies or these speculations that these false teachers laid out. And uh, I, I could uh, go into more detail. I could go into a history lesson or a, or a seminary lecture of, of what all the scholars have said about what must have been the teaching in the Colossian congregation here. But, but just suffice it to say that the people in Colossae were, were, were being influenced by false teachers who offered deep knowledge of divine mysteries that they could only gain if they entered into the club, if they only entered into, into the secret club. And then they'd be given all these mysteries, all these, these understandings of God that they had not been given before. You know, it doesn't appear that they openly denied Christ. It doesn't appear that they openly uh, denigrated Christ here. I don't think the Colossian Christians would have so easily fallen for false teachers who did that. 
It seems that the false teacher is saying, oh, you, you've come into our relationship with Jesus. Oh, that's great. But there's so much more. So it's time to move past Christ into these deeper understandings of spirituality that I can give you. But Paul said it was hollow and it was deceptive because it was based on, and he says two things here, it was based on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Now, the word tradition was often used in Paul's vocabulary to speak of Jewish tradition, those customs and rituals and routines that would uh, uh, provide good structure for people. But then the basic principles of this world, that wasn't Jewish, that was Greek. So like I said, I think the Colossian controversy, the heresy, was this am amalgamation of pagan and Greek philosophy and, and Jewish background, even some elements of Christianity all mingled in. So the Greek word we translate basic principles here means the ABCs, uh, you know, the, the basic elements in Greek philosophy that made up the world earth and air and water and fire and it may have even been that these false teachers taught that they knew the spiritual um, forces behind these basic principles and they could teach the words to them that would protect them from these malevolent forces and, and and cause these forces to sort of do what they wanted them to do and so on the point is that in Colossae the Colossians who were attracted to this teaching were attracted precisely because it promised to draw them closer to God. It promised to make them more spiritual. But it took them away from Christ, Paul said. Paul was saying, in effect, it's good to grow in knowledge, but just make sure that the knowledge you're growing in isn't taking you away from a simple dependence on Christ for your salvation. Here's something else that spoils your faith. Number two, faith spoils when we depend on ritual instead of on Christ. Paul wrote in verses 16 and 17, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, uh, just as I asked you to uh, circle the word captive or captivate, now circle the word judge or judge you. Judge you. Don't let anyone judge you. That word means don't let anyone take you to task. Don't let, any, don't let anyone make you think you're doing something wrong. In regard to what? In regard to what you eat or drink or with regard to how you observe or do not observe certain days. Now again, I said that in Colossae, it seems to be that the false teachers sort of had this, this mixture of Jewish and Christian and pagan and, and Old Testament understandings. And it's true not only in the first point that I pointed out, it's also true in the second point because Paul talks about a couple of things. He talks about regarding what you eat or drink, and then he talks about new moons and Sabbaths and, and holy days and that kind of thing. That phrase, um, uh, religious festival, new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day, that exact same phrase, that exact same order of words shows up four times in the Old Testament. It shows up in 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Hosea, and Ezekiel. So, so clearly, this was a phrase that was very much on Paul's mind, and he was warning people about uh, people who will judge you and evaluate the spirituality of your life based upon how well you're following the Old Testament law. But then he goes on to talk about, don't let anyone judge you about what you should eat or drink. Now, uh, of course, there are certain restrictions in the Old Testament about what you should eat, but there aren't restrictions in the Old Testament about specifically what you should drink. And so, and again, it appears that some rituals of paganism were sort of being introduced here into what the Colossian uh, uh, false teachers were teaching. 
like I said, it has some threads of Jewish teaching in it, and, and uh, it, it is interesting that the Old Testament rules that attracted some Colossian Christians continue to attract some Christians even today. I was uh, in conversation with a man not too, too long ago, he was pastor of a church in the area, who had a uh, Sunday school teacher, a life group leader, that he had to uh, let go. He, he wouldn't let him teach anymore in the class because this man had become convinced that in order to be a good Christian, you needed to keep all the Old Testament laws regarding diet and holy days and that kind of thing. This crops up from time to time in churches even today. And the, and the Apostle Paul is warning the Colossian believers, look, don't, don't, don't fall for that. You need to understand that that was a shadow of things to come, but now those things have come. And so by insisting on practicing the Old Testament laws and rituals, you're going back to the shadow. You're going back to the preparation time instead of embracing Christ fully. I like to uh, help people understand it in this way. Some of you are uh, old enough to have adult sons and daughters, old enough to have those adult sons and daughters bring you grandchildren. Now imagine if after the service you came up to me and said, let me show you some pictures of my grandchild. And you pulled out your phone and you started standing shoulder to shoulder with me, started flipping through 50 pictures of your grandchild. Some of you grandparents in the room are going, amateur, just 50 pictures. But you started showing me all of those pictures and I said, you know, this is wonderful, all these pictures that you've taken of your grandchild. And you say, oh, no, no, I didn't take any of those pictures. I haven't seen my grandchild. My, my son and, and daughter-in-law, they, they send me these pictures and they're just wonderful. Uh, and that's enough for me. And uh, I say to you, wait a minute, you, you haven't seen your grandchild? You have no intention of seeing your grandchild? You're just satisfied with these pictures? Yeah, this is sufficient for me. No grandparent in his or her right mind would say that, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're thrilled for the pictures before you can actually travel there and get there and hold that grandbaby in your arms. But once you've got that grandbaby in your arms, the photos pale in comparison to the real thing, right? I want you to understand that any Christian who's trying to tell you to get back to the Old Testament rules and rituals, what they're saying is the photograph is fine enough. You don't have to have the real thing. But you see, when you have the real thing, when you have the grandbaby, now the photographs just prepared you for that, see? And so the Old Testament laws and rituals and rules, they were the photograph to prepare you for the real thing, but now the real thing has come. And the real thing is in your arms, and you have this relationship with Jesus Christ. But like I said in this passage, he's, he's, he's not just talking about Old Testament rituals and rules and holy days and that kind of thing. He also says, don't let anyone judge you regarding what you can eat or drink. Now, like I said, the Old Testament uh, does have rules about what you can eat and not eat. So you can't eat pork uh, if you're following the Old Testament laws. You can't eat shellfish like, like crawfish and shrimp and that kind of thing. My first full-time church out of seminary, I spent seven years in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that's where my boys were born. And so we knew a lot of Cajuns. Cajuns would make terrible Jews. <laughs> because about everything that you see in the Old Testament that you're not allowed to, eat, not allowed to eat is on the menu for a Cajun. So, right? But then this thing about what you are allowed and not allowed to drink, that doesn't show up in the Old Testament. So again, it seems like there are these, these pagan rules that are showing up as well as this mixture of Old Testament rules. Here's the point. What these people were trying to communicate to the Colossian Christians was knowing Christ, that's fine enough as a start. 
But what you really need to do is you really need to discipline your body and your schedule in a certain way. Now, what's exactly wrong with that? I mean, doesn't the New Testament tell us to discipline our bodies and our schedules? Doesn't the New Testament tell us that there are things we should do and things we should avoid bodily? Doesn't the New Testament tell us that there are certain days that should be special to us? So on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day He was resurrected, we should gather together with each other seven days a week, first day of the week? Absolutely. But if anybody communicates these rules as uh, the real way you can have a spiritual experience, knowing Christ was just the start, now it's time to move on past Him and get into this, if this becomes the foundation of your faith, these rules then you move further and further away from Christ. You're not getting closer and closer to Christ. So we need to pay attention to that. Here's the number. Th- here's the, the point three on your outline. Faith spoils when we depend on experiences instead of Christ. Here's what Paul wrote in verses 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're Puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now another one to circle, that's the phrase disqualify you. Don't let anyone take you captive, don't let anyone judge you, and now don't let anyone disqualify you. Now this is somebody who is a referee, an umpire, who determines that you can no longer play in the games because you violated certain rules. And so he says here, don't let anyone play the umpire over your spiritual experience with Christ. Notice how Paul describes the false teacher's claims here. He says, the worship of angels. Underline that phrase, the worship of angels. And then underline the phrase, such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen. So these, these people claim to already be on a higher spiritual plane of existence uh, because of the worship of angels and because of these supernatural visions and experiences that they had had. Now, I don't think here when he says the worship of angels that he's saying that these people were guiding people directly to worship angels. That may have been the case, but I don't think the Colossian Christians would have fallen so easily for that. The phrase could mean the worship like the angels worship. The worship in the language of angels. And, and so just as angels are worshiping God with their own spiritual language before the throne, so there's, there, there are certain experiences you can have in that same way as well. Now, now, Paul himself briefly experienced this very thing. So we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, let me tell you about the visions and revelations I received from the Lord. I was caught up into paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. But for Paul, as amazing as this experience was, or must have been, it paled in comparison to his experience with Jesus, his experience with Christ. In fact, when Paul wrote these verses in 2 Corinthians, it had been 14 years ago since he had that one ecstatic experience of being caught up to heaven. And he mentions it almost in apology, almost in passing. He's not glorying in it. He's not using this as proof that he really is a super spiritual person that you need to listen to. But the, but the Colossian heretics who were influencing the Colossian church seem to be sort of in that very mindset. You need to listen to me because of the experiences of I, I have had. And I can teach you these experiences too and you can become a super spiritual Christian as well. 
So there are three things here in this passage that can spoil faith. Speculations and rituals and emotional highs. Now I want you to go back through your three points and I want you to write down three words next to these three points. Next to point one, I want you to write the word mind, mind. Next to point two, I want you to write the word will. And next to point three, I want you to write the word emotions, mind, will, and emotions. Because the first point has to do with your mind, right? Sort of the intellectual stimulation that, that study and speculation can bring about. And then the second has to do with your willpower, right? Disciplining your body, disciplining your schedule. And the third has to do with your emotions, the spiritual high that we sometimes experience in worship and in prayer. Now, it's interesting to me that, and this is a bit of an oversimplification, but the history of Christianity and global Christianity down to this day can roughly be divided into three camps, so to speak. You've got a segment of people that are all about careful study, deep Bible study, systems of theology, thinking through things. And then you've got a group of people, a group of Christians who are all about, Christianity is about discipline. Christianity is about saying yes to certain things and no to certain things. And then you've got a group of people that say Christianity is all about this. It's all about experiences. It's all about emotional highs. The reality is that we shouldn't just camp out in one camp or the other. We ought to uh, visit all three of those camps on a regular basis. But here's the interesting thing. Whatever camp you find yourself in, and whatever camp you decide to move out of and into another camp, the evil one is going to be waiting right there to exploit you. There is no camp of Christianity that you can get into that Satan can't exploit. And so if you're all about study, and you're all about theology, and you're all about systems, the evil one can get in there and make you prideful and arrogant toward other Christians. Or if you're all about discipline and structuring your life bodily and have, you're all about following the rules, guess what? The evil one can get in there and turn you legalistic so that your whole faith is based upon, well, I do what I'm supposed to do. I follow God's rules and so therefore God is going to bless me. Or if you're all about spiritual experience, guess what? The evil one can get you just chasing the next spiritual high and the next spiritual high because it's all about being excited. It's all about being moved. It's all about being passionate. Now, didn't Jesus say that we ought to stitch all of these things, all of these camps together? Didn't Jesus say at one point when he was asked what was the greatest commandment, didn't he say, you're to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. So we should love the Lord our God with our mind, but we should not let our mind take us away from Christ. And we should love the Lord our God with all our strength. We should discipline ourselves, but we should not let our ability to discipline ourselves ironically lead us away from Christ. And we should love the Lord our God with all our heart. We should desire spiritual experiences, but not be chasing the next high and the next spiritual high, and therefore make that more important than just the tough work of knowing Christ and following him. And so we need to make sure that we're doing what Jesus taught us to do, and that is to love God with our mind, with our hearts, with our soul, with our strength, but don't let the evil one in the course of us doing that. Let us get carried away from Christ 
in our passion and in our desire to go into a higher relationship with God. So we need to pay attention to these things that Paul lays out for us. Interesting, isn't it, that most of us would never imagine that it was in the pursuit of being more spiritual that we could get led away from Christ. We think that the only danger we're in is that temptation, that hostility, that person over there who's deconstructed from Christ, and so we're going to follow his lead and deconstruct as well. All of that's a danger. But you can stay involved in a church, be involved in a church, read religious literature, and find yourself still in danger of temptations that make you prideful, make you arrogant, make you self-sufficient, make you depend on yourself instead of Christ. More and more and more, those things pull you away from Christ. So we see in this passage that Paul keeps pointing them back to Christ, pointing them back to Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, Don't let anyone take you captive with empty and deceptive claims that depend on tradition instead of on what? On Christ. So you notice he says here that there is this option you've got. You can kind of get intellectually proud or you can depend on Christ. And then next in verses 16 and 17, he points to Christ. He says, don't let anyone judge you as to whether to keep, you keep certain rituals because they're all a shadow and a substance of what is who? Of Christ. And then in verses 18 and 19, he points to Christ again. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you by impressing you with their spiritual experiences. They've lost connection to the head. Who is the head here? Christ, who is the head of the church. Again, he says, stay connected to Christ. Not, you don't receive Christ and then move past him to other things. Christ is not just the entry into the house. He's the foundation of the house. And wherever you go in the house, however more you mature walking through the house called Christianity, you never leave the foundation. You, you never move away from your dependence upon what Christ has done for you on the cross. It's on Christ the solid rock we stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Intellectual pursuits, spiritual highs, discipline of the body, if we're depending on that, it all ultimately becomes sinking sand. And so in verses 20 through 23 of Colossians chapter 2, he wraps it all up. He says, in effect, look, you died with Christ. You've been raised with him. You live in the sphere of Christ and Christ, as we've been talking about the last few weeks. That's your environment. And so therefore, live accordingly as somebody who wants to know more about Christ, depend more on Christ, and look forward to seeing Christ in the next life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And the first thing that we need to do, we need to do as believers. Most of us in this room, most of us listening online, we are believers. The Colossian Christians were believers. So just as those, the, Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 2 for believers, these are intended for us. We need to know that our desire to... Uh, learn more about God and experience more about God can be exploited by our spiritual enemy to take us away further and further from Christ so that we're depending on ourselves, we're looking down on other people, we become arrogant people, we become people that don't have the spirit of hospitality about us. There are all kinds of negative things that can happen when we depend on these things that Paul warned about instead of on Christ. And so maybe we need to pray something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me from my old inclinations of rebellion. But I realize now that even as I still have to fight against my tendencies and my rebellions, 
I've got a new set of battles to deal with too. I need to make sure that things that seem spiritual don't take me away from you. And so help me to love you with my mind, but not let my mind take me away from you. Help me to love you with my strength, with my discipline, but don't let that strength and discipline that I develop take me away from you. Help me to love you with my heart, to want to worship you, to want to have powerful prayer experiences with you. But keep me, Lord, from making that the end-all and be-all and definition of Christianity instead of you. So help me to get to the next level with you and not away from you. But there are others of us in this room who need to pray a different kind of prayer because we're not yet believers in Jesus. In fact, it may be that some of us have depended on any one of these things Paul warns against to make us right with God. Maybe it's, it's doing the right thing and, and, and a set of legalisms that, is, that you've been dependent upon all this time. The problem is the more life we live, the more rules we break. And what do we do then with that? We need to trust in the mercy and the grace of Jesus, not in what we try to do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ, and, and, and to trust that to save us. And so maybe you need to pray something like this, Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. I want to learn more about you. I want to learn how to follow you. But I, I, I just simply want to trust what you have done for me on the cross right now. Thank you for dying to take away my sin. Take my sin away now and give me a clean heart inside. And help me to trust you and only you all the days of my life. Lord God, we pray these prayers we've lifted up to you as believers and brand new believers. We pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Your Renewal Project. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.